We have witnessed God's methodical, systematic, creative steps from the beginning. At times He, and remember, one could easily substitute they, will create something that requires something else by which to thrive, but then will immediately create that which was initially lacking, such as creating in day three living vegetation that will obviously require sunlight to survive, and then immediately creating that sunlight on day four. At other times, however, God will supply in advance that which will soon be needed, sort of like a, an army pre-stationing food and supplies and ammunition for the army that will be advancing soon. Such as God supplying food from the plants and trees in day three for the living beings He will create in day six. Or as He created light in day one before there was a sun to contain and shed that light in day four. In our text for this session, God does both. The plants and trees created yesterday will now today receive their necessary sunlight. But on this day four, the sunlight and moonlight will be created in advance of the creation of the beasts of the field and man, for whom the light will be necessary two days hence. Equally important, however, is that in this day God creates the means by which man will tell time, establish calendars, and be able to navigate the globe. Let's read our passage. Genesis 1, verses 14 to 19. And God said, Let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night. And let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. And let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. Did I hear you use the word sacred somewhere in there? Yeah, this is the New International Version I got today. Where was that sacred? What verse was that? Huh? Verse 14. 14. NIV, I swear. I that's not in the text, by the way. <laughs> no big surprise. It just says signs. <clears throat> They're rounding off the short corners. That's okay. that's one of my criticisms of that. Okay, occasionally a passage of Scripture seems to reveal that God has embedded in His Word, not for the sole purpose, but for at least one purpose, to keep us honest. If we have adopted one interpretation earlier in this case, verses 1 to 5, if we've, if we've adap- adopted one way to interpret this creation epic, well, then we better stick to it. 
we must likewise hold to that same interpretation as we proceed deeper into the narrative. We can't change horses in the middle of the race. Consider for a moment the natural world we live in. The vast grasslands of the prairies, the forests containing myriad species of trees, too many to name. The risings from low rolling hills to majestic peaks that pierce the highest clouds. The seemingly endless variety of living beasts from the desert to the grasslands and forests to the sea. Then add to that the myriad human variations, as the politically incorrect childhood song puts it. Remember it from Sunday school? Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Now, look at this narrative. Look at how this narrative begins in verses 1 to 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Compare that to the world we live in now. We, that is the this church and your humble teacher, do not... What is going on here? I didn't. It keeps creaking, and I don't know why. It's the it's the weather. That's snow. It just that cold. It just does it. Okay. We do not subscribe to the so-called gap theory, which interprets verse one as God first creating a beautiful, pristine, lovely earth first, which became corrupted by Satan and sin, and was subsequent subsequently replaced. I was reading a, an older commentator just this week. Gospel truth. There it is. That's what happened. We hold that God created the one and only earth just as it is described in these two verses. Verses 1 and 2. Which will only be replaced at the end of the apocalypse and the start of the believer's eternal state. That's when it gets replaced. Now, why am I regurgitating something we've already covered? Because these two verses are where we establish the roots of our perspective on the creation epic. This is where we had to take a stand. And I would posit that God's methodology with the heavens was the same as with the earth. Why would He, as some suggest, completely populate the endless universe with all the planets and stars and moons, solar systems et al., including our own star and moon, at the outset of the first day? Yet take five more days to outfit and populate the most important planet in His universe. Why would he complete everything else in his creation, yet leave the solitary location of his gospel to man a a shapeless, dark, wet mass? I believe I have shown that God's method from the beginning was to begin with the basics, then refine and add over time in a systematic fashion. Doesn't it follow that he would employ the same method for both heavens and earth? More than a few commentators base their conclusion that 
the sun and moon had to be created on day one because they're part of the heavens. Space. To that, I and others, of course, say, well, why? Did the day one earth look anything like earth today? Even the earth in day three. As I read verse 2, the initial state of the earth sounds more like a clumsy asteroid than a globe fit for humanity. When those scholars that claim the sun and moon were created in verse 1 get to the passage before us today, they stand on their heads and do a little etymological song and dance to explain away the cold fact that God says He made them, as well as all the stars, on day 4, not day 1. So let's dig in. Verse 14. Then God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. I conclude that the evidence of Scripture... I'm going to stand over here is that on day one of creation, God made the universe, the heavens, in a similar, not yet form as He did the earth. Empty, formless, void. He created the empty space that would later be called by man, space. Now, in day four, in verses 14 to 19, He will populate that empty space with lights. Luminaries. Light bearers is what the word means. And by them he creates one more essential creation component to make earth hospitable for man. Time. On day 1, verse 3, God created elemental light. Now he implants that light into the stars. Most importantly, the one star closest to earth to light the day and reflects that same light off the moon to light the earth's night along with the myriad long-distance stars in space. Then God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens. Here, Moses uses a different word than before and recycles a couple of words he used earlier. Light in verse 3, is or, O-R. And is a root word meaning to be or become light. And it's often used for the dawn. But also for spiritual illumination in a number of places. For example, Psalm 27.1, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Psalm 36.9, For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. And Psalm 43.3, O oh, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling places. Now, in these verses, he's not referring to a light bulb or the sun, but spiritual illumination. The lights in verse 14 is a different word. 
meoroth, which means a luminary, a luminous body, light bearer, lamp, source of light, that is, source of light to man. Less common than or, I could find only one instance of this word in Psalm 90, verse 8, where it's used in a more symbolic or metaphorical manner. You have placed our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. Even there, it's not quite like the way or is used. All others refer to the mechanics of an instrument shedding light. But Moses uses the same words used earlier for expanse and heavens. And we shouldn't confuse them with their earlier application. Expanse in verse 14 does not refer to the expanse or firmament created to separate the waters in verse 6. He's just using the same word to describe it. Nor does heavens refer to the first heavens of earth's atmosphere. Both here refer to the second heaven, space. And the text lists the reasons for the light. To separate day from night. For signs. For seasons. For days and years. To give light to the earth. Verses 15 and 17. To rule the day and the night. To separate light from darkness. And it does all these for the, those dwelling on the earth. Even the stars... So the verse continues to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. In a sense, of course, time had already been created, at least from God's perspective, by the application of evening and morning comprising a day, as we've read several times in the narrative. But now, with the creation of the sun and moon and stars, there would be the means by which the earth's approaching inhabitants, and that's both man and beast, beast, from mice to men, could measure time. A doe this morning came up to my back patio outside the library and stood there and looked at me. She was saying, it's winter. It's time for some food to be out here. She can tell time. Those of us of more pedestrian ilk may give little thought to the utilitarian fullness of the objects in the heavens. For us, the sun rises in the morning. It sets at night. The moon rises in the evening, sets around dawn somewhere. The stars are just out there. And we give all these celestial bodies little thought in the course of our daily lives. But there are others who actually use the heavens. They can read the sun, moon, and stars. For example, Israel will need the celestial objects to be faithful and obedient to the Lord, to keep the law, to know the months and seasons for the observance of the sacrifices and feasts ordained by God. Israel will need them. Those who pilot ships must know the phases of the moon, for it affects the tides. Those who navigate the seas, at least prior to GPS, read the stars for knowing where they are and where they're going. 
Maybe they don't do that anymore, but use a satellite instead. The farmer must pay attention to the seasons, all governed by the position of the sun for planting and harvesting. The sun will also govern what the farmer is able to plant based on where he lives on the earth and its proximity to the heat of the sun. He plants one thing if he lives on the equator. He plants something else if he lives on the plains and grasslands of the United States. He plants something else if he lives in the Himalayas, all based on the proximity to the sun. Many are under the mistaken impression that grace is an artifact of the New Testament, that it came in through Christ. But grace has been part of God's nature and character from eternity past. As evident in creation itself, God is methodically, systematically piecing together a world and a universe that will become a perfect habitat for man and woman and all the beasts of the field. Because he had to? No. I I can't find any reason why God would be doing this other than doing it for people, for man, for those he loves. It's all grace. As to signs, Leupold helps us out. Here's what he writes. Now, and it's included in your handout as well, because there's several passages in there, references. Leupold, now signs, a toth, is here used in the broadest possible sense. Indeed, the luminaries are signs from various points of view. They are signs to devout faith, declaring the glory of their Creator. Psalm 8, 19. They are signs by which men get their bearings or the point of the compass by day or by night. They may convey signs in reference to future events, Matthew 2, 2, Luke 21, 25. They furnish quite reliable signs for determining in advance the weather to be expected, Matthew 16, 2 to 3. They may be signs of divine judgments. Joel 2.30, Matthew 24.29. That they may well serve in all these capacities is clear both from Scripture and from experience. That's Leupold. Verse 15. And let them be for lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. I'm not going to pretend that I understand all the ins and outs of ancient Hebrew. But I'm fascinated by the second light reference in verse 15. There's lights in that verse. There's lights, plural, and there is light. So the second one. At its root, it is the same word used in verse 3, to be or become light. But the variation used in verse 15 is related more to fire. So it's not exactly the same word, but it has the same root. And it's related more to fire than just illumination. In fact, I think the King... Does anybody have King James? I think that the King James in this passage uses fire, the word fire, or it does elsewhere. Then 
more fire than just illumination. And how appropriate to to very ancient man, the sun will indeed be his source of heat, of warmth like that found in the heat of a simple fire as well as illumination. When the first man and woman are created, they will be naturally and innocently naked like the beasts, and they will be warmed by the sun. Other than the sun, what was the source of his artificial illumination? Fire. Interesting. Verse 16. So God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night, and also the stars. I like that. Oh, and by the way, he also made all the stars. There it is. The end of verse 15 gives us the standard indication that God has now accomplished what he set out in this fourth day. And it was so. There it is. Exactly as I meant it. Now as he has before, Moses adds more information and context for the preceding acts. Verse 16 remains earth-centric. The sun, the greater light, is not greater compared to any other star, nor is the moon, the lesser light, lesser compared to any other moon. But the one that rules, that is, has dominion over the day, is the dominant light of the two, especially since the light of the moon is reflected light of the sun, as perceived from earth. This is all based on It's as if we're looking up and seeing everything from earth. The verse concludes, and also the stars. Let's pause for a moment to consider the starry host created on day four. As with other aspects of God's six-day creation, scientists and evolutionists take issue not just... (coughs) with the simple reading of God's Word, but especially considering the vastness and distance from Earth of the stars, planets, solar systems, etc. By their reasoning, many of them claim that the incredible distance between stars, measured in light years, which is a measurement of time, the distance light travels in a year, is solid evidence of the great antiquity of the universe and by extension the earth. They reason that since the light from from some stars take multiple thousands of light years to reach earth, it cannot possibly be true that the earth is only a few thousand years old. Now, to be honest, their reasoning leaves me scratching my head. What does that have to do with it? Some Bible scholars argue against this by pointing out that the laws of light refraction in the interstellar spaces cannot be asserted to be identical with those prevailing under conditions as we know them. In other words, things were different then than they are now. That's what they're saying. The Bible scholars, some. That may be, but we don't even need to go there. The Bible says that on and in day four, God made the stars. 
let's assume that that statement means that on the, that day, God made, he spoke into existence, absolutely every star that will ever be. Set it in space just where he intended, intended them to go. Says, and God saw that it was good. I like what I've just done. Where is it recorded that this means that Adam and Eve, gazing up into the night sky, were able to see every star God had just created a few days earlier? Or even all the stars we can see today? Their visibility to those on earth has no bearing on whether or not or when they existed. Right? Getting a lot of blank stares here. How does it validate Darwin that Adam and Eve saw perhaps only a subset of stars that we can see today? It fits entirely within the economy of God's creation, as recorded in Scripture, that those in the Garden of Eden may not have seen every star that had just been created. Besides, there's this important point offered by Matthew Henry. The Scriptures were written not to gratify our curiosity and make us astronomers, but to lead us to God and make us saints. Let me repeat that. Matthew Henry. The Scriptures were written not to gratify our curiosity and make us astronomers, but to lead us to God and make us saints. When faith gets sidetracked into such arguments, it diminishes God's purpose behind it all. His written Word, His incarnate Word, the reason for creation itself, and the reason for our redeemed lives is His glory. Science need not be the enemy of faith, but it can become a distraction to the process of our becoming more like Christ. Verses 17 to 19. And God placed them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth and to rule the day and the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. Verses 17 and 18 reiterate what had been stated in verses 14 to 16, effectually reinforcing how, as strange as it may seem to many today, all this the sun and moon and even the distant stars he has set in place for the benefit of this earth. That is a determined, reasoned, intentional population of space, the expanse of the heavens, to benefit man. And verse 19 offers the now standard conclusion. Evening and morning, evening and morning, a fourth day. Okay, hit me. Are, are you saying that some are saying that the, the planets couldn't have been there or Adam and Eve could not have seen the, the planets because it takes light years for the light to get from well, is it hard for us to believe that the being that set 
put those planets there in the first place, couldn't have also instituted light all the way from there to here in a, in a blink? Yes, he may have. I mean, do we know that planets are just now showing up or over time are showing up that couldn't be seen before? Yeah, well, yes, because we haven't seen them before. So that would mean that ancient man hadn't seen them before either. Uh, that that the distances are so great that they're discovering new stars using telescopes, space telescopes that can cut through it all and look further and further and further that on Earth you can't see that star. So they're saying, the scientists would say that, that great, those great distances require an ancient, a very, very, very old Earth. I, I'm not sure I understand that reasoning. I, wh what does that have to do with anything? What, how many stars are out there? Where they are? Who sees them? Who doesn't see them? What difference does that make? God made the stars. The fa fact that they couldn't see them because they didn't have telescopes or whatever like we have today doesn't mean they weren't there. Well, right. Or even, even if they couldn't be seen by the... I mean, there are things that we can't see now, today, with our technology. So what? That... But with a creator that had the foresight to put fully developed trees with reproductive abilities instantly installed, also allow them to see what he created. Sure. To an extent. Sure. If, if your faith is, your belief is faith based on this, no problem. But that's not the world we live in. I agree with Matthew Henry that, you know, the Bible isn't, you know, a scientific paper. That's right. How such and such, you know, to understand such and such. But but I, I think there's, there's, you know, glory to, you know, the Creator in understanding and, and trying to, you know, make sense of this world that He has placed us in. You know, certainly there's been a lot of adaptations, as we mentioned a few classes ago, to seeds and other things that mm -hmm. are better in this environment or less drought resistant, etc. But, you know, I... Yeah, the, the whole theory of, or the, the whole idea about uh, stars and such, and it, it's it's true that you know stars are certain you know stars are moving away from us, certain stars are moving towards us. We can tell that you know through through different means, but all that's there you know just in the same way as as the man born blind to give God the glory. You know, God God can spit and, and, and create mud and and do something that just doesn't make sense. Like we can't reproduce ourselves. But I think that's the point, is, you know, he could, you know, have created the, the stars that we are just now um, able to see because the light's reaching us. He, he could have said all, I mean, he did. He said all of those things in, in, in you know, in the way, in the time for, for us to see them and just the same way. And, and some propagated the light towards, towards us so that, you know, I think it's... Propaganded? Propa propagated? Propagated, like, I, I'm getting, you know, the, the light that we... Toy boat. In verse uh, 17, and God sent them, in, or set them in the expanse of the heavens and to give light on the earth. I mean, maybe the stars are, are part of that collection of those that he set. I mean, it's mentioned before. But all that to say is the Lord can do whatever he wants. He can create the, the tree and the seed, just like Tim said. You know, he, he does, he does, 
you know, whatever his, his will is. And, and I think the point of it all is to stand back and wonder, you know, I mean, here's, here's a God who will one day raise Lazarus from the dead. I mean, who, who will do all these things that don't make sense in this physical world, but we're not meant to take a look at it and say, okay, how do we recreate that scientifically? Or how do we make sense of that scientifically? We're meant to stand back and wonder at the Creator. I love it when I read something, that, especially at the end of a week, that pulls me back into the right perspective. And Matthew Henry did that. We don't need to be at war with science. God created science too. God created the telescopes that allow us to see these stars. But that's not really the point, is it? Scientific proof is not really the point to creation, to even our lives today. God's glory and our becoming like Christ. He created science, but he's not beholden to science. Only, only, well, <laughs> you could start chasing your tail with that. You have to remember, too, science is not, it's, it's not a settled thing. I mean, the, we now know, they like to say. <laughs> the science of today is far different from the science of a hundred years ago or a thousand years ago. And so, I mean, it was science then, but it was wrong. Yeah. You say, well, yeah, but we now know. Yeah. Well, that we just we just don't know. And tomorrow, and tomorrow they'll say, and we now know. Dennis, did you have something? How did uh, Matthew Henry's quote go? Can you repeat that? Didn't I include it on the handout? Dave, well, while you're finding that, new, new question uh, with uh, signs and seasons and the reading of the stars or you know various things. Did you think God uh, equipped Adam and the the early uh, early man fathers with that knowledge instantly, or did they have to learn that? What knowledge? The knowledge of the stars and the navigation and the seasons and the did they learn that as time went on, or did they have that knowledge? Were they were they created with that knowledge? I don't think we can say for sure, but it would seem to make sense to me that it was a combination of all the above. The, some things we know the day we're born. Some things take years to learn. Some things are told to us by others. And I, I think early man would be the same, same way. He Like the trees and plants, he was born far in advance. He had a lot more packed into him than we do because he had to get a head start. He, he, he started out a man, not a baby. Yeah, I just, it, it, it's a, and I, I, I realize there's not any hard answer to it, hard, hard, fast answer, but, you know, I think of today how, you know, unless we are taught and spent years studying the heavens and the stars on how to navigate and or if you're brought up with it, you know, modern man, for the most part, doesn't have a clue. I mean, as far as just looking at it, if we go out tonight and, you know, making sense of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, futile. Unless you're, unless you're I think all, the answer to your question is all of the above, really. Uh, Matthew Henry, the scriptures were written not to gratify our curiosity and make us astronomers, 
but to lead us to God and make us saints. Thank you. I think we always want to know the, the why and the how. I think that's, that's built in demand, and I don't think that's a bad thing. No, no, but it can sidetrack us from the priority. Yes. Our Father, we thank You for all of the knowledge that is in Your Word. Have patience with us as we struggle with it sometimes. And quicken Your Spirit in us so that we can understand what You want us to understand and to not bother with what You don't. In Jesus' name, Amen.